when you're working with the royal family, that pressure that you get as the protection officer, you're wearing so many different hats. You're representing so many different organizations. So when you talk about things going wrong, that actually has global connotations attached to it. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Do you have the right skill set to protect VVIPs? Do you even know what a VVIP is and the context in which wealthy, high-visible and high-status principles need to be protected? This week, we're going to be talking with Simon Morgan, former royalty protection and founder of Trojan Consultancy. He is a great friend of the industry, and you know he's one of the first people that I actually got introduced to. So I'm here with John Moss, and uh, together we're going to sort of explore this. John, can you explain why he's such a great friend of the industry? You know, more than just a great friend of the industry, you know, we, we do have a genuine, real good friend of the Circuit Magazine joining us today. Uh, you know, Simon's worked closely with us for a number of years, and anybody who is a regular reader of the magazine will see uh, Simon's ad in there for Trojan going out every issue. He's been a, a long-term supporter of what we do, you know, um, more than just uh, financially with advice and just being a good friend and uh, very supportive. He is, isn't he? And an excellent speaker. And obviously, we see him on television uh, sometimes. But the subject of VVIPs, why is that even a subject? Is it is it a subject because some people claim to be working with them and they're not? Is it, is it a subject because uh, a lot of people aspire to work for them? Um, what is the problem that we're going to try to look at? Well, I think it's more to try to open people's eyes up to the challenges of working with this type of client, this profile, and why we even bother to categorize it slightly different. A lot of people, I think this might be what you were alluding to, uh, get caught up in the status of it. And some people might want to measure their worth and value by that of their principal status. But that's not what we're interested in today. It's more about the challenges, the different types of dynamic that you're going to face and that you're going to have to adapt to if you find yourself or aspire to work on a team with this type of client. It is, isn't it? And, and of course, this, this whole series of podcasts, you know, we, we're striving for thematic-based uh, you know, content and, 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 and a how-to you know, rather than just a this is your life type of episode course, but but more of a guide, some advice um, for the uninitiated and obviously those, you know, long in their career. Well, you know, the, the real danger of doing an interview like this on a podcast like ours is not just to crack open a couple of wet ones and want to sit around and, and chat and catch up, you know, and pick the brains and experience of somebody like Simon. Uh, and is to try to stay on topic. And as as our good friend Elijah would say in Mine for Jewels, right? We, we want to come out with some really good takeaways for the listeners. Indeed. And, and, and of course, a very informal chat about 
everything would be absolutely possible with Simon. Uh, you know, but we need to focus on this topic of the VVIP and we're going to relate it back to you, the Circuit Magazine audience. So let's hear from Simon Morgan, founder, Trojan Consultancy, former Royalty Protection, on the topic of protecting VVIPs. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. Protecting wealthy, visible, high-status individuals. We're here with Simon Morgan, founder of Trojan Consultancy, former royalty protection and Actually, the best person probably in the business right now to ask these questions. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you on, Simon. Uh, I'm here with John Moss. How, how are you doing? I'm very well. Yourselves? Enjoying it? Really having a good time? With regards to wealthy, high visibility, high status individuals, uh, a lot of people probably think, yeah, I've obviously served on a detail protecting them, but it's clearly not industry-wide where we want it to be. So I guess we'll do our three quick fire questions. Simon, why is the industry not where it should be with regards to protecting these individuals? I mean, you know, that's probably the million dollar question, really. You know, where where kind of are we and what exposure do people have with regards to, you know, people of wealth, visibility and status, which is what we kind of have as that catch all phrase at Trojan Consultancy. You know, how do people get that exposure? Um, how do people kind of learn from it? But yeah, I think it's it's kind of catch-all phrases, isn't it? You know, everybody talks about the ultra-high net worth. When I was at kind of royalty, and obviously since I've been out, you know, I see the terminology protecting the queen kind of constantly. And, you know, and it stems from kind of people like us, you know, all the way through people who stood at a, at a barrier at the Diamond Jubilee. So, you know, it's it's identifying actually what that means because, you know, from a client's perspective, the reality is that they don't know. Well, we'll get into that because, of course, the market, you know, decides all or not, right? Because they might not actually look into what they're buying. And um, well, what about you? Where does your passion for this particular area of EB, you know, sort of come from? It comes from our time of the royal family. Ultimately, we take what we did um, as police protection officers and now we deliver that um, back to the private sector. So that's where we want to continue that thread. We want to work with kind of clients who require our services. That's ultimately a big portion for us. You know, we, we don't really do vanity projects. You know, for us, it has to have the threat and risk and whether that's kind of actual or perceived. But, you know, nonetheless, we don't do vanity projects. So it's, it's working for clients who kind of need your services, but I think more importantly, value your services. Because if the client doesn't value what you do, then it's very much like pushing water uphill. You're just not going to get anywhere. No, no, very good point. And often people seem to get this impression that you need a very visible and uh, you know, braggable client, where, whereas, whereas that's actually probably not the most fulfilling work. So for the uninitiated, those maybe brand new in their career, or, may, or maybe they've been uh, doing it for some time, but they haven't really ever looked after someone of high wealth, visibility and status, what should they think about? It's very much a kind of multifaceted role. You know, when you're talking about people who, you know, possibly kind of encapsulate all those three uh, particular sectors, then, you know, the, the big thing is what footprint do these people actually have? 
because you know the way you operate can actually kind of um, adjust that footprint quite considerably. Um, you know, my big thing is always unsettling the environment. You know, if you go into someone who has a very low footprint um, and you're providing that security kind of blanket by dealing with the, the planning phase and then taking it to kind of execution rather than just stumbling kind of out of an evening and kind of hoping for the best, then you're going to unsettle the environment quite significantly. That then draws attention to your principle and that um, ultimate indirect of intelligence then leaks out into people who will start to create direct intelligence against your principle. So it's how you operate is actually kind of key to the security that you deliver to your client. So Simon, um, looking at in particular VVIPs, we're talking, uh, you know, people of status, the type of people who would perhaps have protection assigned to them if they didn't, you know, mm -hmm. seek it out themselves. You know, one of the things that is immediately apparent to me is it, the high profile nature of that work. O obviously, the clients themselves are high profile and therefore, you know, you come in and under within that bubble. And therefore, when you work on a team like that, it, it's obviously it's going to be more stressful. The expectations are going to be higher and everything you do is going to be scrutinized. Mm -hmm. And there's so many examples out there. You, you don't need to go far uh, searching to YouTube to see many examples of what have been deemed or labeled as security fails. You know, like Prince Charles, uh, Macron very recently, Bush and Reagan. You know, having worked on both sides of the fence, do you think that criticism is always fair? It depends who the criticizer is. So, you know, that you've got to kind of put that kind of into context, you know, and certainly kind of in the current climate, it's very easy to stand stand back and kind of criticise uh, when you don't actually know, you know, what the bits were. And obviously the media as well um, adjust uh, a lot of things, you know, so that you show the footage that actually suits their rhetoric. So, you know, as, as professionals, you have to look at things like that. That's where we ultimately get our learning from. Because, you know, we see things and think, oh, that wasn't kind of quite right. That could have gone better. That individual has done kind of the best they can. So, you know, when you're looking at things like that, I think you have to put it very much in context um, rather than ultimately just pointing the finger and saying that is a fail. You've got to look at it as a professional and think, right, is it a fail? Uh, and if it is, what are the learning points that we can kind of take back from it? Um, because that's ultimately how we develop. If we didn't learn from history, um, then obviously we would be kind of stepping out and failing every time in any case. And, uh, you know, looking at your own experience, particularly your time on the royalty protection team, and, and I certainly don't want to imply that you made any mistakes, Simon, but uh, I'm sure along the way within the team, you'll have had those moments where in the debriefs afterwards you there's been things that you wanted to change or improve for next time how how would you approach that or how would the team go about um, making those improvements i mean you always have that kind of hot debrief you know very much after um after an event or you know and after a movement you know yes you know what went well and why and kind of what didn't go so well especially when if you're in a, a context of a of a multiple day's visit for argument's sake you know whereby you've got to um, kind of tidy things up a little bit but you know yes there is a formalized way of doing it and that comes down to kind of training sometimes whereby you'll address an incident and kind of go back and say well okay if you stood there then you know that kind of wouldn't 
have happened. You know, if the barrier line um, hadn't finished there, then that wouldn't have happened if the cars had been kind of pulled forward. So, so you, you look at it and that's what you create your frame of reference from, you know, going kind of forward. But, you know, nobody um, kind of sits there and, and thinks, well, you know, nothing kind of went wrong there. Is There is always something that you can kind of look at and say, well, we need to do that kind of a little bit better. You know, hopefully, you know, nine times out of 10, it's on a minor stage. But when you're... You know, going back to working with the royal family, that that pressure that you get as the protection officer, you know, you're you're wearing so many different hats. You know, you're you're representing so many different organisations. So when you talk about things going wrong, that actually has global connotations attached to it. You know, you're you're representing royalty protection, Metropolitan Police Service. Uh, you're representing the Home Office. You're representing Her Majesty's Government, Her Majesty's Commonwealth, and every every business that trades under a British flag that stands there and says, we're as good as we are because we're British. Um, you know, because of the nature of 24 hour kind of global media, you know, as soon as something kind of happens, it is out there and it is also out there not to be dragged back. Um, so, you know, you are very aware of all these things that are going on. Um, and, you know, you are looking to get it right every time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but I mean, that in itself brings a lot of pressure and stress, doesn't it? And, we know that, you know, when you ramp up the stress levels in those kind of environments and you know the public eye is on you, you've really got to be on your game. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And, you know, you know what kind of, you know, burnout's like, you know, with regards to attention span and things like this. You know, you you do a raw walkabout that's probably maybe 10, 15 minutes, a couple of hundred yards. But, you know, that is you're putting your principle um, right in the public domain. They're out there pressing the flesh. And, you know, and you are working hard for that 10 15 minutes okay that may have been six months in the planning for that 10 15 minutes of kind of operational footwork but you know that is that is pressure cooker stuff because that's what kind of everybody sees that is somebody's moment of opportunity if you haven't um put everything in place that you can to prevent that mm -hmm. and i guess what i want to talk about is the difference between being reactionary and being able to uh, preempt incidents and then do as much as we can in the planning stage to offset that. But one of the difficulties with royalty protection in particular, and I'd like to hear your point of view on this, but as I see it is, it's very difficult to affect the plans of these people uh, often perhaps to the degree that we would like to to ensure their safety because they are public figures at the end of the day to kind of you know going back to royalty you know you're part of a big um, mechanism kind of around the family so you know but as a protection officer you do have lots of the lots of the final says you know they they fully understand why you're there and you're there ultimately to preserve life no matter what everything else goes on around so they fully understand that and they get kind of cradle to grave you know, when you're working with the royal household, they kind of fully understand kind of why you're there. So you actually do have a, a tremendous degree of latitude, you know, when you are putting kind of plans together, you know, to consider the other stakeholders, to consider crowd dynamics, you know, and how you're going to get things kind of to work. But this is something that you have principals who are inadvertently signed up to it. You know, when you kind of move across to the private sector, that is where I would say sometimes you can't um, adjust the, the principal's mindset because, you know, you, to 
to achieve some things, you've got to have a principal who is going to accept that you are going to want a planning phase. You are going to want a recce phase. And, you know, it's not a case of I need a CPO for, kind of, you know, four o'clock this afternoon to kind of go out shopping. You know, for us, that's not the kind of work that we'd get involved in in any case. But we would have principals that are coming to visit to the UK. We have an itinerary to kind of work to where we will recce everything that we can in relation to that itinerary. And they fully expect that we have already been everywhere that they are now going to visit. But that is that is a, a big deal of acceptance on the principal side to get that level of um, security that you, you they have to sign up for the planning phase. It's not just an operational perspective. Yeah. And you mentioned the royal household there, and that's something that we love talking about on this podcast as well. The whole kind of home office and tying everybody together and building relationships. So for you on royalty protection and in the royal household, who were the main stakeholders that you would want to prioritize relationship building with in order to get, you know, these important messages across? Again, it's at kind of different levels. So, you know, yes, you have people that you'll be working with around um, private secretaries. They must probably are the portfolio holders of, of where you are going at kind of a certain time. Um, then you'll be working with other members of the royal household, such as um, uh, their chauffeurs. So, you know, that's kind of quite a pivotal part kind of to us. Then you'll be working with the event organisers themselves. You know, who, who are we going to see? What are we going to do? Um, what are they looking to achieve? What, you know, are we opening something, closing something? Uh, are we going to visit, a, you know, a general area as part of you know, Wales Week that the Prince of Wales used to do or kind of Holyrood Week that the Queen would do? Um, then you kind of got to go into kind of law enforcement in your various particular areas and ascertain what, what assets they can give to you to support that operation as well especially you know when policing budgets are so so tight these days you know so you're asking for for something that you know uh, ultimately that operational commander may not be able to give you at that time you know you just you may need more people you may need people to search you may need firearms officers um to provide a kind of an outer cordon and so on and so forth so you do get into that um process of negotiation you do get into that process of, of compromise. Um, but then you also bring it back to kind of ownership. You know, who's going to take ownership kind of of this? You know, and we, and we were, you know, fortunate as police officers to be able to steer people a lot of the time in the right direction because of our, our experience of doing it, you know, and having you know, certainly when I joined, you know, there was lots of experienced officers who've been doing it for 10, kind of 15 years already. So, you know, you kind of look to them as to how they, how they work with the other stakeholders and, and got everybody kind of aligned, you know, even the people that um, you know, wanted something kind of totally different to you. But, you know, for me, it was always, it's always negotiation. You've always got to accept a degree of compromise. Um, and then you've always got to um, give people ownership, you know, give people ownership of their event and kind of get them to be kind of part of it. Because certainly, you know, as, as we know, at our level, you know, we, we should be in the background. You know, people come and see our uh, kind of royal family from those days or they come and see our principals um, kind of now. You know, they don't come and see Simon Morgan and John Moss, do they? Nobody's really interested in us. So, you know, for us, we've got to make sure that everything kind of is in place, that those principals can feel comfortable enough um, to go and do what they want to do. 
Simon, it occurred to me because because I like I like to relate things back to all uh, flavors of uh, listener to the to the podcast. And of course, there are people who have never worked with such principles, and they say, "Well, I I really wish I could because it'd be a great feather in my cap," and so on. And 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 then you mentioned giving people ownership of uh, tasks, making them feel like they they're, they're part of a bigger a bigger picture. I want to better understand that because. I can imagine if you have a very unimportant comparatively principle, then you, one of your main challenges, people taking you seriously, people taking the visit seriously and listening. But if you have someone of great wealth, great status and great visibility, is it not possible that they will get so starstruck that they may actually not do their job as well as you would have hoped? Um, do, do, does it go the other way? Oh, very much so. You know, very. You know, people get kind of red carpet fever. You know, and think kind of it's all about it's all about them. And you know, and they do, uh, you know, shake hands with your principal. And you know, and clearly are completely overawed by the occasion. You know, and again, you know, you've got to look to look to identify this. This is why you engage with people. You know, certainly if we're talking about you know walking the line at a at a film premiere or something like that. You know, you'll identify kind of people that. Um, not necessarily going to kind of cause you problems, but could become problematic. Um, you know, and, and it's that kind of conversation piece, you know, the ability to communicate, as we all know, you know, is, is ultimately probably 95% of your work. Um, you know, it's not the kind of the hard skills that kind of we use on a day-to-day basis. It's the ability to communicate with people. And, um, and that's what you've got to do, you know, as an advanced officer, you've got to kind of, you know, got to get in the crowd and get, get the mood for it. And, um, you know, again, it is all about, Kind of taking ownership, um, and and you do that by communicating with people. Yeah, and uh, Simon, I, I think I'm right in saying that I've heard you say in the past that you don't consider yourself to be um, a person who's naturally inclined towards empathy. Is that right? Is that to say? I mean, I, I, I've I've known you all, known you for a while, and I would describe you as perhaps stoic. Uh, but is that is that mm. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's, you know, I joined the police service um, back in 95, you know, as probationer, the same as everybody else. And then I went straight on the public order unit, the territorial support group, you know, very much frontline, in your face policing, um, you know, most probably not much, not much empathy kind of within that role. Um, then I went over to SO19. Uh, and again, you know, most probably even kind of less again, because of the nature of the, the criminality that you're dealing with. And then, and then you go to royalty. And, you know, they almost kind of start again, to a certain extent, you know, yes, you've got the, the core skills that they want. Um, but, you know, I always kind of say, you know, one minute, I was dealing with, um, you know, working in the kind of the gutters of the capital, for want of a better word. And then, you know, you're at a at a dinner at kind of mansion house with a member of the royal family, you know, kind of how much kind of difference can you possibly look to get? But, you know, the training process kind of strips that back um, and gets you to be more of a, um, more of a communicator. And again, you know, bringing out that empathetic side, you know, rather than just saying, well, this is going to happen because I want it to happen because that's maybe what I'd become trained to do kind of over the years, this is where, this is what I would like to happen. What are your thoughts on how it would happen? Okay, yeah, I accept your thoughts, but kind of this back, get back to how we kind of achieve this kind of together. And yeah, it was a complete different uh, role, complete different mindset, but nonetheless underneath is, is that ability to do the job 
when is required. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is a tremendous training process. And yeah, lots of people would say I'm probably not the most uh, empathetic of people. I was thinking about that. And, and I actually think uh, it, if that is your natural style, then it can suit you quite well. And trying to be empathetic when you're not could be really messy as well. You know, it could really backfire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, you this is why the course, you know, going back to the kind of the course as it is, you know, this is what they're, they're looking to achieve. You know, when I was being trained to be a protection officer, they, they know what they want. Um, you know, they, they kind of understand that and they will keep on um, putting on the pressure. They'll keep on layering that training until they get you to where they, they want to be, you know, especially if you've got the, um, the basic requirements that they need then, you know, they will keep on layering that training until they get the, the end product that they want. Yeah. And look, I, I think there's a danger of, you know, I, I've seen operators who I would class as potentially being too empathetic, you know, whereby they're so invested in the principle, you know, and, and it comes out of yeah. a really good nature. You know, they, they do their homework, they're deeply researched, they follow everything, mm-hmm. you know, their, their social uh, media footprints and everything. But if they are, you know, inclined towards being a very empathetic person, then you can find yourself getting really caught up in all in, in taking on all of that pressure and strain of what is a very public life playing out in front of you. It is. And, you know, you've got to be, you know, as we both know, you know, very kind of turn on and offable. Um, you know, you've got to accept, you know, certainly if you're on a bigger team that, um, you know, when you're, it's not your week on, not your day on, not your event, whatever the case may be, you know, that principal will still go out and kind of work with you, uh, sorry, work with another member of the team. You know, they, you can't be the individual who says, well, you know, if I'm not around, the principal kind of doesn't go out. Therefore, I must be in work kind of every day and doing this and doing that. You'll, you'll burn yourself out. You'll kind of cross the line as to whether, you know, it's, you're actually become more, uh, which way I put it, you actually become, you know, you'll think you're actually part of their life uh, more than the role that you're actually play. That, you know, that's not to say you can't have those kind of conversation pieces, and that's not to say you can't be professional in the job that you do, but you have to know where the line in the sand is, you know, and I think, you know, we've, we've both, you know, for many years kind of been in the private sector, you know, and I always say to people, you know, it's kind of great, you know, you'll go out to, you know, Michelin star restaurant tonight, then you'll go to the opera, um, you'll get dropped off in a Bentley, you know, you'll hand over to somebody else. And then the following morning, you're, you know, picking up the children from school, um, having a chat with the dads at the school gate and the next meal you eat is a Nando's. So, you know, you've got to be able to separate this. If you're the individual who's sitting there, dwelling as to whether your principal has gone out because it's not your kind of week on then you know ultimately you're you're on a you know you're on a bit of a rocky path forward really so simon a, a bit of a tabloid-esque question right you see online a lot of people that seem to think yes i am as important as my principal um or at least that's the type of image mm-hmm. they're, they're putting out there and we, and we see it on instagram quite a lot but i thought yeah. what about a useful question related to that are there things that you think you've learned from these people of great wealth and great uh, status and great visibility? Not things that you want to share on Instagram, but perhaps something from your time working with them that you, you think, you know what, there's, there's, there's a thread here to being successful or, or to being uh, you know, something special. Uh, maybe we could put a positive spin on that. 
I mean, very much so. You do watch how business people work um, because ultimately, you know, I'm a business owner now and kind of running my own team and responsibilities. And, and you listen how um, people kind of got their wealth, how they generate their wealth, how they support their wealth. Um, because, you know, you're fortunate enough at times to be within their circles when they're talking about things, you know. So my understanding of how a business runs is now kind of far greater because of the people that you kind of um, associate with, because of the people that you work with. Um, you know, and so you do take things kind of away kind of from that, you know, as well as kind of how people um, conduct themselves, you know, and what makes them a success. So, you know, you do look at various different things that, you know, different principles um, bring um, to uh, that, that you can kind of draw out with them as well. Yeah, Simon, uh, just going back to our skill set, um, particularly want to try to extract something here for our listeners, especially people who are new to the industry, looking to potentially get with a client of this kind of status. And I'm thinking about your time again back on the protection team when you will be recruiting new members. I don't know how heavily you were involved in that, but I'm sure as a team trying to incorporate new bodies, there would be particular skills, attributes that you would be looking out for. Is there anything that we can take from that that would be useful to our listeners to, you know, so that they can look at themselves and their own skill set and developing in this sort of way? Okay. I mean, I always say kind of, you know, protection is the thinking person's game. You know, if you can't kind of walk and talk at the same time, then it's not really kind of for you. So, you know, we talk about the hard skill sets, you know, and nine times out of 10, those can be taught. Um, you can be taught to shoot, you can be taught to drive, you can be taught to fight. Okay, there's, you know, there's some element, there's that kind of 1% element um, that, you know, some people kind of can't, but the majority of people can be taught those physical skills and create those kind of mindsets, you know, certainly around a kind of conflict scenario. But if you cannot walk and talk at the same time, if you can think, cannot think rather, with the strategy of what if, what if, what if. If I do this now, what's going to be the result? If I do this now, what's going to be the result? If I don't do this now, what's going to be the result? You know, and those take place kind of within kind of microseconds. And those are built up from your from your training and, you know, from your experience as well. But, you know, when we were looking to select protection officers, we used to kind of talk about the juggler scenario, whereby you've got two individuals who kind of, you know, can quite comfortably juggle five balls. And, you know, you throw them a six ball and initially one kind of drops it and then the other one drops it. But, you know, the one that kind of dropped it first actually now starts to fall apart, you know, and the fifth ball gets dropped and the fourth ball gets dropped and they eventually go to pieces. As opposed to the individual who dropped that six ball, uh, managed to steady himself, has now had that six ball put back in and is now carrying on. You know, that is what we're looking for you know we're looking for people who can see it for what it is can deal with it can prioritize can stabilize their minds um and get back to where they where they need to be yeah so um as it starts falling apart don't fall apart with it you know stay strong absolutely you know don't get that catastrophe syndrome whereby you keep on going down and down and down you know there's a lot of um uh, psychology around it and certainly a lot of um, sports psychology which I did for my um, sports science degree uh, many many years ago um, you know and a lot of high-end performers 
do not get, do not suffer from um, the catastrophe syndrome, whereby they just keep on going down and down and down. You know, a lot of them have the kind of the U scenario, whereby they'll go down so far, but actually then they'll kind of bring themselves kind of back up, you know, and, and you can see that in a lot of kind of high level athletes, certainly those that take part in kind of a, a kind of a team environment, you know, goalkeepers are one that I can remember doing a lot of work on uh, when I was in university, you know, and the ones that perform at the higher level, um, yes, they may let a goal in, but then they kind of pull it back. And after that, you know, they have a, have a tremendous game. The ones that um, aren't as successful and aren't as good are the ones that, you know, do let goal three, four, five and six in, you know, and just completely, Kind of fall apart so um yeah it's that it's that kind of mindset that you kind of have to have and and you know and not be able to kind of you know if things are going badly around you um you don't really need to kind of contribute to the problem you need to be kind of part of that solution simon i i wanted to briefly bring up a, t- a subject that we have spoken about on this podcast recently um but with a different flair so we, we we've thought recently about standards And we've thought recently about whether or not we have to make compulsory higher standards because there are some people that will simply uh, buy whatever's in the market without considering what they're buying. So buyer beware applies. And so we must raise the bottom uh, and so on. Is VIP or VVIP protection excluded from that scenario? Because it, it seems to me that you're going to try and hire someone from royalty protection, or you're going to try and hire someone with, if you value it, SF background, um, or, or whatever you deem as mm-hmm. you know very valuable. You're not going to be, um, as a VVIP, hiring from the bottom. So, so, so I, I, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Are, are we on a big, big mission to raise the standard, but not here because it's already very high? I mean, clients of those of that nature know normally what they want. They've educated themselves. You know, a lot of them may have been in and around security for many, many years, you know, whether they kind of, um, you know, cradle to grave, such as the royal family, or they've just been in and around it and now kind of adopted that themselves. So they will already know what they like and what they don't like. I think, you know, the, the difficulty comes in where security becomes a requirement such as for insurance for argument's sake whereby the only requirement is is to be a holder of an SIA license um you know that's where that kind of education piece is needed because you know the client may very well be thinking they're getting James Bond but the reality is they're getting Johnny English because they don't know any better because the standard that they've taken is that of the SIA license i love it i love the the Johnny English reference um I'd be perfectly happy with Johnny English. He'd, he'd be really funny. He'll <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly amuse you over the kind of the course of the day, I'm sure. He'd definitely have an in. And no, no, but I, but I, but I like this. And I, and I like how, you know, okay, our listeners are not majorly from royalty protection, right? So they're looking up, they're saying, you know, what can, what can we do? And, and, and I think you've, you've given a lot of great, uh, great examples of whether or not a VVIP will hire someone who hasn't got that background. That's another story. It is. It comes down to choice, doesn't it? You know, it comes down to choice. And ultimately, sometimes it also comes down to cost. Um, you know, and then you come back away. So, okay, well, what price peace of mind? You know, for our principles, they sign up to, yes, the delivery standard, but they also sign up to the, the preparation standard. Um, you know, lots of principles will say, well, no, I just want you kind of outside my house kind of, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon, kind of in a suit and we're off, you know, off where, don't know. 
So, you know, from that perspective, you know, those aren't the kind of principles that we um, that we seek. Um, and again, you know, I suppose as we look at um, kind of our principles, like I said, you know, earlier on, we we have a, a criteria, you know, and the first one is that there has to be threat and risk. If there's no threat and risk, you know, why do it? Because we don't do vanity projects, but that threat and risk could be kind of actual kind of all perceived. Um, will the client value what we do? Because again, if the client doesn't value what you do, then you know you're going to be on a, a pretty difficult day because they might want to always do the opposite. And they could be exposing themselves, kind of, and you. Because as an employer, I have a duty of care um, to my officers that I put out with principles. And then finally, is the client prepared to pay for it? You know, I put the financial things kind of last because if the, the first two criteria are mixed, I'm not really fussed on whether a client can afford it or not because they're most probably not the right client for us. A very, very uh, good note uh, for everybody. I think I think that's good. And and you know, if you, if you can't if you can't negotiate, if you can't determine your own terms, then it's not a business. It's it's something else. Um, so yeah. yeah, I like it. All right. Well, Simon, this is very good. I realise there is an entire segment to be done on your entire career. You know, I'm sure it meant many, many, many books <laughs> uh, to be written. Well, we've kept on talking about it, John and I have talked about it for years, but we've never kind of quite got around to it have we for a variety of different reasons so but um, i like it yeah i like well no obviously there are things that that will come out uh, in the fullness of time in, a, in some sort of novel that you probably write or or, or book or, or anything like that oh i've got, got got an nda about that kind of thing that you know you kind of you ah. sign the day you join you kind of you know you sign it every year and then you kind of they give you another copy of it the day you leave so you know from that perspective you know but that's more about um the kind of the kiss and tell side of things you know the operational side of things um you know a lot of it is in the public domain kind of already so you know really um you know you're not giving away any secrets you're most probably just talking about kind of standards and how those standards kind of are achieved to be honest with you so you know i'm kind of quite comfortable was there anything that netflix left on the table after they made uh, the crown you know, so i've never watched it john i've never watched it i did um I did the premiere for it a number of years ago when the first series came out. We did the Leicester Square premiere and I've never watched it. And I think only, I still don't think it's caught up to my time period when mm. I was at royalty. It, it kind of, I think it's only just wandering towards that, you know? So lots of things that the crown has to dealt with was way before kind of my time. So, you know, maybe when it gets to the era that I was there, I'll have a look at it, you know, and say, oh yeah, okay, well, you know, that may have happened, it may not have happened, and so on and so forth. But um, so I've never I've never watched it. So I can't can't comment. And they've certainly never asked me to kind of do any QA for it, which is a shame. Well, I was just about to say, hopefully they'll we'll get to see you on the TV again. Maybe, maybe. So let's see what happens. Perfect. All right. Well, this is making VVIPs accessible to the rest of the circuit magazine community, or at least giving us a a very good idea how we might approach it if we got that work. And why we might want that work in the first place, as, as, you, as you pointed out, you know, you want the right clients. Many places we could go, uh, obviously some places we can't go, but I really value this session. So, Simon, thank you from John and myself. Thank you for being such a great guest on the Circuit Magazine podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Protecting VVIPs, Simon Morgan is the person to have on this podcast. I'm so glad we had him on. 
obviously so many more places we could have gone with the podcast, but I really enjoyed it. What about you, John? Yeah, it was fantastic. Felt under an enormous weight of pressure to try to get as much out of Simon and satisfy our listeners. But it's very difficult. Like you say, there's so much that when you have, you know, 40 minutes with somebody like Simon, you know, it's never enough. Indeed. And, you know, I, I, I like actually the perspective that if you are not so empathetic and, and, and you do, you know, maintain a level head, then these VVIPs can teach you a lot as well. Um, obviously, there are some uh, standards that need to be you know, raised across the whole industry, but, but it's good to sort of hear that perhaps at that level, at least, um, smart decisions are being made about uh, you know, selection, which, which I think is, is quite heartening. Um, what else did you take away from today's session? Well, you know, I mean, just going back to that empathy point, I think there was more to it than just the actual, uh, you know, whether you are an empathetic person or not, is what what really spoke to me was the fact that Simon identified that early and he used that in part to select his own career trajectory. And by understanding yourself and your own strengths and weaknesses, it will unlock the answers to where you should work, where you're well suited, you know, where you might struggle and where you can be preemptive and either take courses, get advice, or just stay clear of that area. You know, and I, and I think there's, there's so much more there that we can take away from that and, and learn and adopt that into our own principles. And as he said, it's a thinking person's game and... If you're not going to get the clients that you're looking for, then you should walk away. Obviously, I know not everyone is in such a strong position, but I think that's at least another great sentiment. You know, you should be prepared to not uh, take on board a client that is not valuing what you do and not needing what you do. Um, I think I think that's another good takeaway. Yeah, and you know, it's not that your standards need to be the same as Simon's but what it should inform you is that knowing where your north pointer is and always staying true to that absolutely so so yeah I I think we're going to definitely have uh, Simon back on another uh, podcast or event or another article in the magazine things coming up talking about events we're going to be doing another circuit magazine event at this time at mid-November, just to save the date for you, please do keep an eye out for it. And we're going to be actually looking at a topic that can span geographies. It's going to be something on the topic of workplace violence and its applicability to EP and the evolution of corporate security. I think, I think we're going to reveal more details, but I want to get that in your calendars, at least as a sort of a rough save the date coming up. Um, we've we've had a few uh, guest speakers, uh, Joe Saunders, uh, you know, on our on our podcast before, and I think the time is right to look at it. Um, what w- what do you think, John? Yeah, well, I think we're going to do I'm not trying to push you into committing to anything live on air, but I think we're going to do something a little bit special that we haven't done before and try to make this stretch across quite a few time zones, right? Indeed. Well, no, don't don't worry. I have no problem committing to it. I will put my pen to paper. Um, it will be uh, val- valid for the UK evening, the Pacific Coast 
afternoon and the Australian morning, which in turn should help us really bring the community together. Sounds ambitious, but it will be accessible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Just tell me what time I need to be out of bed. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's 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 not going to be too bad for, for, for all involved. And it'll be a unifying topic, especially because I think after COVID, or at least towards the end of COVID, people are going to say, we've had a lot of responsibilities thrown on us. What do we want to keep? What do we not want to keep? Maybe some facilities management stuff we don't want to keep. Uh, maybe some, you know, things that perhaps we want concierge to do, maybe not. But workplace violence, I think we've got a special role to play. Anyway, we'll give you more of that as it develops. Um, VVIP protection, obviously, a lot of people want to do it, but don't know why. Some people know why, but can't. So it's been perfect to have Simon Morgan on to lift the lid and explain to us what to do when you're in the position and how to go towards doing that role. Right. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast this week with a tremendous friend of the magazine and, of course, the industry, Simon Morgan. From John and myself, thank you very much. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.